You were listening to a message from The Exchange in Pearl, Mississippi. To find out more about The Exchange, go to www.theexchange.cc. Anyone see Bryant or? No? I got, okay, well, somebody. I, Tyler talked about cashing it in or phoning it in. I figured maybe that's what we do right now. Y'all ready to go home? Okay, good. I'm glad we didn't aim in that. That uh, would have felt really bad right then. Um, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Waiting. How did uh, that make you feel? Good, bad? Did you know what was happening? The microphone, give it away. <laughs> I'm curious, how does, how does waiting make you feel? Is it something that you're pretty good at? Something you stink at? Is your fruit of the spirit list read more like love, joy, peace, impatience? That's me. My name is Matthew, and I'm an impatient person. <laughs> Um, I also happen to be the student pastor. Uh, good to be with you this morning in person and online. Uh, student pastor, anyone in student life here that would, anyone in student life that would, there we go, all right. Glad you're here this morning. So waiting, we all go through little waits, right? Things that really don't cause us a lot of struggle. Um, sitting at the red light, does anyone hate that. I know I do. Does anyone have what they would call road rage? No? All right. You don't have to do too many confessions this morning. Um, what about commuting? I, I dislike commuting. I'm so happy that uh, the church building is only five minutes from my house and that the new building is only two minutes from my house. I'm super pumped about that. Uh, my wife has commuted almost all of our marriage, and she's like, I love it, sitting alone and listening to my thoughts. I'm like, well, your thoughts are better than mine, because <laughs> I'm not a fan. Or what about something that causes a little bit more struggle? Something like your spouse getting ready in the morning, or your kids getting ready in the morning to get out to school, or maybe here this morning to church or you've got to get to a date and you've got reservations at a certain time and the other person isn't on your schedule. That caused a little bit of frustration. Anyone cringe? Did anyone choose not to look at the person next to them this morning? How was that right over here? Okay, need a little forgiveness, a little redemption. Got it? All right. We'll, we'll have counselors up here uh, at the end. That's not really what they're for, but if we need a transition, we'll do, do what we need to do. Um, waiting to hear back from a job interview. I know certain seasons of life, man, had work, had security, and something happened, whether you were laid off or maybe a pandemic hit, or you chose to leave thinking that there was something else lined up, and the interview didn't quite go the way it planned, and so it's kind of stuck, and we get really desperate for that. Maybe... Your dad is coming home, and he knows you did something no good. Anyone ever have that moment growing up where mom said, just wait till your dad gets home? Did anyone look behind him real quick? I wonder if dad was going to burst through the door. Now, I'm not going to admit that I ever got in trouble, all right? But there were times 
a word on the street was, I did something wrong, and uh, dad was coming home to deliver some swift justice. <laughs> Maybe not the worst thing in the world, but it did cause me a little bit of struggle, and the waiting was never fun. But there's waiting that have some harsher implications, aren't there? Maybe waiting to hear back from the doctor after the test that you took to figure out what's exactly wrong. Or maybe someone you knew was in a car wreck and they've been airlifted to the hospital and you don't know if they're alive or well. Maybe there was a big blow up with you and your spouse or your significant other and you're wondering, you're waiting if this was the fight that's the last. That one day they're going to step out or maybe you're waiting for the electric company to come turn the power off because you couldn't pay the note. Or maybe this time finally get pregnant. Or maybe this time it'll finally go to full term. We all have struggles in waiting. And they can be as simple as waiting for the next season of Stranger Things or is my family ever going to grow. And so... This morning, we're going to be talking about waiting. Surprise, right? We're going to be talking about waiting for this week and the next couple of weeks. And I think it's something that's super relevant to everybody, right? I think we all are in seasons of waitings, whether little or big, whether small weights like, no, they're easy, or hard weights. And so, and it's something that transcends whether you're a believer or a seeker, Right? Whether you're a hardcore Christian or like, hey, I'm just trying out church because I have something to do. <laughs> it's a holiday weekend, give a little tip off to God, or someone drugged me here. Or maybe you're actually trying to figure this thing out. So I want to take a moment as we begin this series and we talk about waiting, which seems pretty topical. I want to address our believers, okay? A term that I recently heard in a podcast that I really like and latching onto is deconstruct your expectations. Deconstruct your expectations. Deconstruct is simply like figuring out what that thing is made of. What builds up that expectation. And so in this season of waiting, like what is your expectation from God? And ultimately that leads to why are you in a relationship with God, with Jesus? What is your expectation from him? Are you in a relationship with Jesus for what you can get out of it? Or because he created you for that loving relationship and he has some potential to pull out of your life. And so as we kind of deconstruct our expectations, we can maybe better answer this question of why am I waiting or what to do while I am waiting, okay? And for our seekers in the house, I'm glad you're here this morning or online, glad you're here this morning. Becoming a Christian doesn't make all your problems go away. Can I get an amen from anyone in the house? Amen. Yeah. It's not one of those magic pills that just every, cures everything, right? I wish it was so, but it's not. And waiting is something that comes for us all. So I want to dive into a story that a lot of us are familiar with, okay? Jacob working seven years for Rachel, right? I think a lot of Church folk familiar with that story, and preachers come up here and waxed and waned about waiting many a times. That's not what we're going to do this morning. 
We're looking at Jacob. We are looking at Rachel, but we're looking at Leah, the first wife, the older sister who got tricked uh, or who tricked with her father-in-law or with father Laban into being the first wife of Jacob. All right. Now, if you did not know that this story was from scripture, you would think I was recapping an episode of Jerry Springer. So here's what we're going to do. Instead of this, because this story needs a little context, okay? Instead of reading chapters 26 through 30, which we would get done this afternoon, I'm just going to give some highlights to the story. Y'all good with that? All right, so stay with me. So it goes back just a few years to Father Abraham, who had many sons, right? Y'all familiar with that song? So we go back to Abraham, super weird dude. Um, you think if this is the guy that God comes to and said, hey, if you follow me, I'm going to bless you and your household. You're going to populate the earth and your people are going to bless the nations. I think that's probably a pretty stand-up dude, right? Like that's like a dude's dude and like no flaw whatsoever. Abraham had some flaws, all right? <laughs> Praise God that he still uses people like you and me, right? And so he comes to Abraham and said, hey, I got this proposition for you. He's like, cool, well, I'll do that. Well, as Abraham goes and lives his life, he does some things. He and his wife, they travel to a couple of places. And in fear of not losing his wife, he pretends that she's his sister, all right? Anyone ever gone into a restaurant like, hey, that's not my wife, that's my sister? No, that's weird. You wouldn't do that. Well, he does it twice over the course of his life. Not only that, they don't have kids to populate the earth until they're well over 100. Anyone signing up for that gig? No? All right. I, like, I love my grandkids because I can send them home and I'll be done and I can go to bed at four o'clock. I'm good. No, no one wants to have kids at the age of 100 or older. He also was the guy that took his son up on a hill with a knife and a rope and well, we know how the story ends, thankfully, um, and God provided a way out of that. This is the guy that's supposed to bless the nations. Weird dude, right? So that drama runs throughout the rest of his family. So it goes down to Isaac. Isaac and his wife, Rebecca, kind of do the same thing as Abraham and Sarah, and they pretend to be sister and brother, which I really don't understand, but that has to do with the patronage and uh, the the husband and the wife versus brother and wife and the ownership of the female in the family, which is super weird. We're not getting into that this morning. But it makes me wonder, like, what are you so afraid of? So then Isaac, who becomes old, is about to pass down the promise that God gave to Abraham, that Abraham gave to Isaac, to his son Esau, the firstborn. And if you've been in church for any time, you know that Jacob tricked Esau and Isaac out of that blessing with a little goat hair and some tasty food that my Bible translates it as. I don't know if that's stew. I don't know if that's a full meal, but tasty food is the words that are used in my scripture along with his mother. And they deceive the father and the older brother so that he can get this blessing. So lies and deceptions. And seemingly God uses this to continue to pass down the promise, which is again, super weird. Esau comes back. He figures out what's going on. And Esau is like a a bro's bro, he's like, you want to fight? I'm going to kill you. You took my blessing. And so he's coming after Jacob. Mom, Rebecca, hears about the fight and the killing that's going to come. So she warns Jacob to run off to her brother Laban in this far off land. And while you're there, marry this other person or this type of people because your brother married these Hittite women. I don't like Hittite women. I don't know what it is about Hittite women, but she didn't like Hittite women. 
And when Esau figured out that his mom and father may have uh, worked him out of his blessing because of his wife choice, he went and married a third woman from a different place that he knew they wouldn't like. Drama. <laughs> so on the journey, Jacob comes across this big old well. And he comes across the shepherds with their flocks, and they're just sitting there. He's like, what's the deal? Why are you just waiting around? And said, well, we wait to water the sheep when everyone is here because it's a big old rock. And we need everyone's help to move this rock, and we all water at the same time. Well, okay, makes sense. So Jacob's thirsty, not water around for a little while, so he waits. While he waits, this little thing comes up, herding some sheep, and her name happens to be Rachel. And apparently, she looks good, at least to Jacob. Looks so good that she uh, stimulates him to the point where he can move this massive stone over the well that takes multiple men by himself. Right on, right? <laughs> and right after that, he serves Rachel by watering her entire flock, then gives her a big old kiss and weeps openly. Anyone looking for a man like that this morning? Someone strong, serving, sensitive? Sounds like a pretty good Tinder profile to me. So it doesn't end there. He's like, Rachel, I like you. Let's get married. Super quick. But he says, let's go talk to your dad first. Laban, oh, that's actually the person that I'm here to see. Cool. So let's go to Laban. They go to Laban. Hey, I like your daughter. Let's get married. Cool. Let's do that. I will trade you her for seven years of service. Jacob's like, kind of weird, but I'll do it. Let's go. So seven years starts, and Scripture says it re or the seven years go as if it was just a few days. Okay, that's nice. So it gets to the wedding day. All those years of work and service, Jacob finally gets what he wants, right? No. I don't know how this plays out, but the way Scripture says, that night, uh, Laban, the father, substitutes his daughter Rachel with Leah, the older sister, who apparently has weak eyes. I don't know what that means. Guys, I'm just saying, don't compliment your wife by saying you got nice weak eyes. Doesn't seem like a compliment. <laughs> and so now, Jacob and Leah are married because they have consummated the marriage. And uh, Jacob's like, um... This is not who I ordered. And <laughs> kind of how it reads. So the next morning, he goes to Laban. He's like, um, what's the deal, bro? He's like, well, uh, our custom here is that we don't give the older or the younger to the older and all that. Um, so sorry. <laughs> uh, he's, he's not worried about it at all. And uh, Jacob's like, well, I still kind of want Rachel. Do you think I could have her too? Which seems like a lot of trouble, but hey, go for it. And Laban says, yeah, you can have her after this week of marriage with Leah um, for another seven years. Jacob's like, well, it's kind of a lot, but okay, let's do it. Really wanted Rachel, apparently. And so he does. And seven years goes on. He's married to Rachel, married to Leah. And wouldn't you know it, the drama doesn't stop. <laughs> when you bring multiple people into a marriage, <laughs> not a good thing. And so 
Rachel and Leah have this battle for children, for patronage, and for passing along the promise that God had passed or given to Abraham, who passed down to Isaac, who passed down to Jacob, who's going to pass down through their male children. And so we see Leah not getting love from her husband because she's not ultimately who he wanted, but she's delivering the children and the way for this promise to take place. But we've got Rachel, the person that Jacob really wanted, who is barren, and she's also competing with Leah and says lots of catty, nasty things behind her back and probably to her face. So you've got this drama that goes on that later turns into both of them handing off their handmaids to Jacob to make more children, and then the hiring of Jacob because someone wanted to sleep with him one night with the mandrake roots. It's just a whole story. Messy, right? Just because this story is messy, still think God has a message for us today, all right? So I know that was a lot. We're going to concentrate on just a four-verse passage, okay? But it needs a little bit of context. So... If you've got a copy of Scripture online, we'll have it here on the screen as well. Genesis 29, 31 through 35. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive. But Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben. For she said, it is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. Anyone want to name their children after misery? No? Um, she conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Again she conceived, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Now at last my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Now we're not even looking for love. We're just looking to hang out and attachment. Take what you can get, I guess. So she named him Levi. And fourth, verse 35, she conceived again. When she gave birth to a son, she said, this time I will praise the Lord. Amen and hallelujah. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children, at least until those mandrake roots came around. So what does this tell us? What do we need to know from the story of Leah? I think we've established that everyone has waited, is waiting, will wait. And if I was a betting man, would put all my money down on will wait again, right? Waiting is a part of life. And then uh, if it's a part of life, how would God desire us to? to wait. I think that how we wait is important, just as Tyler was talking about this morning. And if we wish to wait well and use that time as an opportunity to grow, what are the steps that we need to take? So we got just a little breakdown this morning. The first step, I think, is to express the want. Express the want. God, in his desire for a relationship with us, welcomes us to share what we want and what 
we need. Just like Leah was expressing her want to God in the birth of her children, I want my husband to love me. And just like my therapist says, Matthew, communication is key. Your wife is not a mind reader. You need to tell her what you need. You need to tell her what you want. But God does know your mind. He does know your thoughts. He is a mind reader. Why would we need to tell God what we want, what we need? That's an interesting thought. But I think that expressing our want has less to do with God and more to do with us. Have you ever said the words after thinking something in your head and expressing it out loud? That sounded a little better in my head. Has anyone ever put their foot in their mouth because they did not verbalize properly what they had in their mind? I probably have done it today. Probably done it from this stage. But expressing your want, I said, has less to do with God. He already knows, but more about you. Speaking it aloud, discussing the want, the need with God helps you to really define what you actually want and what you actually need. Just like we just sang, God knows what we need. And I think if we, in a moment of lucidity, would admit that God knows what we want and what we need even better than we do, right? Now, we can act in our life as we are number one in knowing what we want and need, but God ultimately is. And so, uh, I believe in our talking with God, we can better define what it is that we want and what we need but in praying, did you know that it's not a one-way conversation, but a two-way? It's a discussion. So not only are you kind of figuring out what you want by saying it out loud, God's a talker too, if we would only listen. And if we take his feedback, maybe it can better define what it is that we actually want and what we actually need. God has declared himself a good God, after all. A good father who gives good gifts. He's a God who blesses redeems, heals, delivers, forgives, and he's not stingy. The Bible says if we delight in the Lord, he will give us the desires of our heart. Amen to that, right? But before any of us picture a bigger boat or house in our heart real quick, it's not that type of message, all right? We're not naming it. We're not claiming it. But the Bible I read and the God I know is a generous God. But that doesn't mean he's going that there's going to be a brand new car in the parking lot when you walk out. This is church, not Oprah. I have prayed that prayer. It hasn't worked. Let me know if it works for you. But maybe it's not that prayer that we need to pray, but the want that we need to express and define. Let's look at that. At the desires of our heart. God is described as a father figure to believers calling them his children, adopted heirs to, the, or to the, the throne, the kingdom of God. I have children. My children have responsibilities. They are to pick up their toys after they play with them, put their dishes in the sink after they get done eating, put their clothes in the hamper and shoes on the shelf, mind their manners, respect authority, there's a lot longer list, but I feel like I'm sounding like a demanding dad, so I'm going to stop right there. But the point is, they've got responsibilities, even at a young age, just like we do as believers, children of Christ. 
And when we become his children, believers, we are said to be new creations, right? And if we are new creations, then we have new hearts. And if we have new hearts, then we have new what? Desires. Amen. Right there. Leah desired her husband to love her. A normal desire, right? I don't think anyone would suffer Leah for that. It's something I would want for her and something I would want for you that you were loved by the ones who say they love you, your spouse, or your family, your friends. Now, we don't see all of her prayers recorded in Scripture, but in our passage, we see where she expresses her want for Jacob's love with the delivery of each son. She's even acknowledging God's part in the birth, right? Birth one, two, and three. Maybe now my husband will love me. Maybe now I've earned my husband's love. Maybe now God will make my husband love me. You can start to sense the desperation there, can't you? Part two, enduring the weight. If one is expressing the want, two is enduring the weight. Waiting is a part of life, but not all weights are created equal. Some easy, some hard, some short, some long. And in the case of Leah, she waited years, right? I'm assuming conception to delivery was roughly the same time period in that time period as it is today, so nine months-ish. And there was four of them. Don't know how long it took the first time to conceive or how long it took in between each time. So my math, which isn't great, does tell me that she waited years to get to this point. And I can only imagine, not only is she waiting those years, the discomfort in itself, being a mother, pregnant, delivering, but her partner does not love her, does not even care to have her around. Now, it's not quite the same, but I mentioned that there was once or twice that I got in trouble when I was young. And there was once or twice that my dad found out. And there was once or twice my dad got upset. Now, I don't know if you've ever walked into a house where a mom or dad had strong emotion and it, there was just a heaviness that hung over the house. Everyone could feel it. Yeah, yeah. People can sense when things are off. you imagine being in a household where there's no love, just kids and responsibility? you imagine the mounting hopelessness and desperation that Leah must have felt in her time of waiting, expressing to God, like, hey, this is what I want, but not receiving the answer that she originally wanted? Definitely not in the time period that she would have liked. Was uncomfortable, was desperate. And I know for you, probably there are moments of hopelessness, desperation as the waiting goes on. You feel like you have fulfilled your end of the bargain, doing the things that you need to do, speaking the words that you need to speak. Acquiring the help that you may need to acquire. 
and yet it doesn't quite turn out the way that you want in the time that you want, it can really test your endurance, right? Endure the weight. But I believe that the ability to endure, dying or surviving the weight, has a lot to do with who you think is in control. While you were waiting, it's a little exercise, do you find yourself white-knuckling every single detail? Or maybe your hand or command is found and imprinted on every little aspect of a scenario. Proverbs 16, 9 says it like this. We can make our plans, and we can, right? I think we're all pretty good at figuring out what we want. But the second half of the verse reads like this, but, and I think that there should be multiple U's there in the old Hebrew, but the Lord determines our steps. We make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. I believe in God's wisdom, he knows that we seek to control our situations instead of waiting patiently for him to move. How often have I seen my own child struggle to do or accomplish something that if she were to simply ask, I could have stepped in and done it like that. Can we, too, not play that role in our own lives? We think that we are in control, and we act as if we are in control. And oftentimes, we are the God in our own story, asking God to supply our wants and our needs. Our expectation is twisted. Hmm. It did take Leah some time, but after the fourth child... I believe that she finally got it. Verse 35 says, She conceived again, and then she gave birth to a son. And she said, This time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. That's okay. God's got patience even when we don't. And he gives us time to figure it out. Three births, didn't get it, expressing the want, realizing, you know what? That's probably not going to happen. But you know what? You know who is here for me? Maybe not my husband. Maybe not Jacob, the person that's supposed to, that said all these sweet things when we got married. Says them to my sister. I'm giving them the children. You know who is here? It's God. God's been faithful to me this entire time. I may not have been fully faithful to him, but he's been behind the scenes working, working this out. And you know what? I may not have the love from this human being, the person that couldn't fulfill her needs and satisfactions, her contentment, but God could. And I think we start to acknowledge, God, thank you. I wanted this. That's not going to happen. But instead of giving up, I'm changing my expectation. I'm deconstructing my expectation. What I wanted was this, but what I need is you. What I need is this, and God, thank you for knowing better than me. Moves us on to our third. We have expressed our want. We have endured the weight, but now we need to entrust the win. Entrust the win. So I bring it back to you. Have you been praying about a situation in your life 
and found yourself waiting for a breakthrough? Probably. Are you wondering why the answer hasn't come yet? Do you think victory is passing you by? These are normal questions that I think we all have, especially as the waiting goes longer and longer. Sometimes when we pray long and hard about a situation in our life without receiving the answers, we learn to live with it. Has anyone ever just kind of hung it up? We go on about our business wondering if or when God will send the answer. But can I tell you, can I remind you, can I encourage you that God does hear those prayers? And he's working out the answers even though we may not know all the details. Hallelujah for that. Here's another thing I know for certain. Before God moves, sometimes suddenly, thankfully suddenly sometimes, we will wait. It's a fact of life. Nobody gets out of waiting. So the question is not if we'll wait, but rather how we'll wait. And I believe that there's a right way and a wrong way to wait. I think that there's a way that honors God and trusts God in waiting in a way that does not. So let's look at those two. We will all wait passively or we'll wait expectantly. Passively or expectantly. A passive person hopes something good will happen. Please, please, please. And is willing to sit around waiting to see if it does for a short period of time. And after that short period of time, he gives up. He said, I've waited and waited and nothing's happened. I'm moving on. He expresses a lot of Wishbone, but not a lot of backbone. The expectant person, however, is hopeful, believing the answer is just around the corner, due to arrive at any minute, whether it's an actual minute or a millennia. They don't care. They will go the distance. His belief is not a passive thing. His heart is full of hope, expecting his problem to be solved at any moment. He wakes up every morning expecting to find his answer. This is the type of waiter that I want to be, expectant. Someone that can go the distance. Someone that can hope and wait to the point and expect to the point where I'm expecting it to happen right now. And if it doesn't, that's okay. And if it doesn't happen the next minute, that's okay, but I'm still waiting for it to happen. Wouldn't it be nice to have that kind of expectation and endurance? Yeah. And God said that can happen. It's like when a woman is pregnant. Not that I've ever been one. But it's said that she is expecting a baby. She carries inside her the promise of a baby. And even though she can't see it, she knows it's there. The moment she learns of her pregnancy, she begins to plan for her baby's arrival. She starts collecting items she'll need and busily gets the nursery ready. She knows the promise is going to be fulfilled. It's just a matter of time. She is expectant and will wait as long as it takes. Leah waited too. Waited for years. Took her four births before she finally came to recognize that her expectations were wrong. She was looking for earthly fulfillment from her husband who would not and could not satisfy. But what she didn't know 
is that God had plans far greater than she could have ever imagined. I said to entrust the win. So what's the win, right? God's will is the win. God's plan, God's pace. Entrust the win in the hands of God who is constantly at work for his glory, which ultimately is for our good. His pace, his plan. Here's how it played out at the end of Leah's story. So God promised Abraham, if you follow me, I will populate the earth and bless the nations. Abraham passed that promise down to Isaac, who passed it down to Jacob, whom with Leah gave birth to a bunch of sons, one of them being a boy named Judah. The one where she said, finally, I will praise you, Lord, that one. And through the line of Judah, we see in the Old Testament, 500 years later, King David. Through Leah, through Judah, comes about the royal lineage of the kings of Israel. Talk about bragging rights for a parent, right? Oh, you said your child is a good baseball player? Mine's a king. Nothing against baseball, all right? And if it stopped there, that would be enough, right? I feel like that's pretty good fulfillment. Like, hey, we created something pretty cool, pretty special. But it doesn't end there. So I want us to hop from the first book of the Old Testament to the first book of the New Testament. So join me real quick. I'm not putting them all up there. Uh, even though it's a special moment, we don't get to do a lot of begots uh, on Sunday mornings. But here we find the genealogy. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. And so I'm just going to skip around a little bit, hit some highlights. Y'all good with that? Y'all trust me? All right. So we've got Abraham, father of Isaac, Isaac to Jacob, Jacob to Judah, Judah to King David 500 years later. That's pretty cool. Then about 1,000 years after that, we go through uh, Rehoboam and Asa and sweet little Jehoshaphat and Hezekiah, and Azor, and Achim, and Eliad. And finally, we get to Eleazar, the father of Mathan, Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Leah didn't know it. Leah waited she did not see the full expression of God's answer. But I think ultimately she trusted in him. And while she was, he was at work doing something through her far greater than having some dude give her some attention. God worked out a human lineage for a divine being to be born 1,500 years later from this lady named Leah. You think you've been waiting long for something? Try 1,500 years. Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one who came to restore and redeem, to deliver us. A man who lived and modeled and taught us how to live and those in his day how to live. Who died, who overcame death, and has offered salvation to you 
and to everyone who has ever lived. That's what came from Leah. We all have a story. We all have struggles. But ultimately, God is writing his story with his success. That's what we can entrust. That's the wind that we can all grab a hold to. That's the anchor that will keep us in whatever storm life throws at us. Entrust the wind. Not only did 1,500 years pass between Leah and Jesus, 42 generations, by the way, we have something that we can put our hope in as well. I don't know what your struggle is today. I do not know about your current season of waiting. What you are in, what you just came out of, what you're worried is coming down the pipeline. Our struggles may differ, but our hope is the same. The same Jesus that came 2,000 years ago, after 1,500 years ago from Leah, the one who delivered and defeated death then as he was ascending into heaven said, you know what, I'm coming back. And this time for good. And this time I'm restoring all the brokenness that we humans have brought into the world and there will be no more struggles. There will be no more waiting. Our struggles may be different, but our hope is the same and that is the hope that we have today. That is the wind that we can entrust this morning and moving forward. Will you pray with me real quick? Thanks for listening to this message from The Exchange. If you would like to talk to someone about your faith journey, you can contact us through our website, www.theexchange.cc or by calling or texting 601-397-6111. Now let's go be the church.